So I'm going to read chapter 9, verse 4 to 8 to start us off. And Moses is speaking to Israel and he says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. So, uh, is, is, is God saying something here? He repeats uh, something multiple times through Moses. And it is this theme that we're going to be talking about today. That it is not because of your righteousness. It is not because of your righteousness. God does many things for us. He has been doing things for his people since the beginning of time. And what we are learning through the book of Deuteronomy is a very uh, amazing thing to learn about God. And it is this, that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when you read the Old Testament, you are reading about the same God in the New Testament. A lot of people uh, don't understand that. They think God has changed some way, that he has um, you know, changed how he acts towards people. And the truth is... He hasn't. What has changed is his covenant towards us. But in reading this, we read uh, about an eternal truth that we're going to keep on uh, talking about today. And it is this, that it is not because of our righteousness. God, since the beginning of time, has been doing things for us in spite of us. And so when we look at all of the incredible things that we have as people of God, when we think of the blessing of Jesus that we can enjoy today, and we think of the blessing that Israel was about to enjoy, the promised land, uh, God has a reminder, constantly a reminder, and that is this, before you think that you have arrived, before you think that, man, I am so amazing, that God just had to bless me with what I have. That I've just been so good and so incredible. And Israel's about to defeat king after king after king. If you read the book of Joshua, you see how many kings they are about to defeat. It is, it is insane. And so before they are about to go on this conquest, God is going to say, you you may get puffed up thinking how amazing you are with all the kings and the kingdoms that you're about to defeat. But before that happens, I just, you need to remember something. You need to, uh, you need to keep this at, at just at the front of your mind. It is not because you are righteous. 
It is not because you have done anything so amazing that you are getting this. And in fact, it has nothing to do with you for what is about to happen. And the reason that God says it has nothing to do with you is because in between chapter 9, verse 9, all the way to where we're going to pick up in chapter 10, verse 14 later on, Moses recounts a story. And this story is about the golden calf. Um, and, and this is just an, an insane story. And if you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it. And it just goes to show that God is saying, listen, if you thought you're, I'm doing this because you are good and because you are so amazing and because you're perfect, I'm, I'm reminding you right now that you're not. And we're going to have a little story of remembrance real quick. And so Moses reminds them of Horeb, which is where Israel uh, worshiped the golden calf. And so Moses went up to in the mountain and he's speaking with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And while he is away, he's not away that long. Israel decides, you know what? I don't know if Moses is ever coming back. Uh, and if he's not coming back, well, then I guess we should take matters into our own hands. And so they have everybody come with all their gold, all their, they, everybody that has gold, come bring it in, in a pot. And Aaron, instead of telling the people, no, you shouldn't do this, who is Moses' right-hand man, Aaron starts overseeing what's going on. He's like, well, if you can't fight them, you might as well join them. And so Aaron oversees, starts to oversee what's going on. And the people start bringing in gold by the droves. And so they put it all into this pot and they melt all the gold. And then they shape it into a calf, the golden calf. And then after they make this golden calf, they begin to worship it. They literally begin to worship it. They start to prop it up as an idol and as their God. I mean, Moses is literally just gone for a little while. And, and this is what happens. And the, the, the reminder, last week we learned about remembering and what happens when you forget. You forget what God has done. And part of this is remembering that what you have done as well and God's goodness within that. So the people of Israel are not perfect. And Moses is reminding them of one of their deepest sins against God. When God is literally writing out the covenant between him and his people that's going to last generations, they, on the other hand, are not waiting upon the Lord. They're not finding their security in him. They're, they're, they're not excited that they just got released from slavery in Egypt. They're not excited that the Red Sea was just parted before them. They're not excited that God literally just destroyed the army of the Egyptians that was chasing them. Instead, they are very quickly going to serve another God. And, and not even... Uh, a God of, of some importance or worth, but literally something that they made with their own hands. That is death, that is dumb, that is 
blind, that cannot see them, cannot hear their prayers. Um, So Moses is reminding them here, you have deeply wronged God. And that is why what I'm saying is so important, that multiple times it's repeated here, that you are about to go into the promised land, you're going to possess what I have given you, you're going to achieve and receive the inheritance that I have promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and you are getting this not because of your righteousness. Now, righteousness can be broken down into right standing with God, very easy way to say that, meaning not because they were serving God well, not because they were obedient to God, not because they were so good that God was saying, well, you know what, you've been really good, you've achieved something, you've followed the commandments, and so here you go. No, the first reason God says that I'm going to give you this land is because the people that possess the land currently are so evil That if I had to choose between one of them, I'd rather you be in the land. It's kind of like your coach, you know, the the starting lineup is being set and you're about to be picked in the starting lineup and he picks you to be in the starting lineup. You know, you're going to be in the five in the basketball team and he's like, all right, Justin, Because they're really bad, I guess I'm going to have to go with you. (laughs) You're you're in. Well, thanks for the vote of confidence, coach. I appreciate that. It's not because of my skill that I'm getting into the starting lineup. It's because the coach looked at everybody else on the bench and realized, man, they're really awful. They're pretty bad. Uh, So I'll go with you instead, and I'll put you in the starting lineup. And this is something that is a reality that... Humans, we have to understand because we like to puff ourselves up. One good thing happens in our life and all of a sudden, I'm writing a book. (laughs) Let me get this blog going right now because everybody needs to know the 10 secret sauce recipes to how life is so amazing in Justin land. Right? This is... This is how our culture, not just our culture, but this is how humans are. We look at people that have accidentally fallen into good times, and we think, man, how can I replicate that? And then as people, we allow the praises of others, and we allow the good things, and we, they get to our head, and we start thinking, yeah, I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty amazing. You know what? Maybe I can bestow upon you some wisdom so that maybe if you are good enough like me, you can get to the place that I've come to. And so God is preempting any pridefulness on Israel's part. He's preempting them saying, look at how amazing of a warrior Satan, we are, I mean, we got some pretty good warriors that we're able to go in and he's preempting them being able to say, look at how great our strategy is that we can come in here and conquer this entire land. He's preempting them saying, look at how obedient and how good we have been that God is, is blessing us with. He's preempting them looking at anything inside of themselves and saying, look at what I have achieved. Look at what I have achieved. And you know, the 
more success that you have in life, the harder it is to not start taking credit for it. The more that you achieve what people think is success is the the harder it's going to be for you to say that this was not my doing, that this was God's doing. And so the first reason God gives them is because the people that they're going to take out of the land are incredibly weak. I mean, if you read some of the historical evidence of what these people are doing, they were having babies and then taking the baby to the temple and killing the baby and sacrificing them to their God. I mean, these are some wildly inappropriate things that were happening. The, the, um, the prostitution was part of their temple worship. And in fact, it's something that Israel itself that we read about a few weeks ago, they fell into while they were on their way to the promised land that they some of the men, they decided, oh, this looks like a great God. And so we're going to worship that God. And just so happened that part of the worship of that God was sleeping with all the women, even though they were married. And so this was part of the religious culture. We think of religion today. We think of morality. We think of kind of a lot of good things that have happened because of religion. If it wasn't for religion, we, would have, we wouldn't have hospitals. We wouldn't have education. We wouldn't have all of these great things that we kind of uh, enjoy today in our society. But back then, religion was very different. And so part of what God was doing with with Israel is he was wiping this off the face of the earth. He did not want this to be something that lasted. But then there's a second reason when Moses is done going through the story of the golden calf. He says this in chapter 10, verses 14. He's recounting why they don't deserve the land. And then he says, behold, To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. It's interesting how this starts out. Moses reminds them who God is. And what he is. You know, it's easy for us to kind of forget who God is, but he starts out by saying, basically asking this question why is it that the great and mighty and powerful God, he is the one who created the heavens, he is the, the, the God of the heavens and the earth, he created all of these things, why is it that he is doing this for you? If you have been so evil, if you have been so off that you would serve the golden calf, that you would that you, you would worship other gods, even after all this that he's done to you, why is it that he would still bring you into the inheritance? Why is it that he would still bring you into the promise? This incredible, powerful, and mighty God. It's a good question because Israel was not the greatest people on earth. They weren't the most numerous people on earth. 
They certainly weren't the strongest people on earth. If you were to think of the mighty and powerful God, the creator of the universe, picking a people in human terminology, you would think that that would be the mightiest and the most powerful people. But no, instead, God, he's working with the people that have just suffered through slavery for 400 years. And have no land and are nomads in a desert. Why is this God choosing them to give them an inheritance? Why is he doing this? And it comes down to this word love. That's why. He loves them. Because he has loved them since Abraham. Because Abraham had faith in God when nobody else had faith. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their God was me. And so out of my love and my commitment, I'm giving you this inheritance. I'm giving you this land. So when God gives you your salvation, when he gives you your inheritance, don't say in your heart, Moses says, that this was me. Don't say within your heart, because that's what happens. That's the line Moses uses, and he uses it several times throughout Deuteronomy. Don't say within your heart, because when pride begins to come up, what happens? First in your heart, you begin to say, Look at what I have done. Look at what I have achieved. Don't think it was because you were so great, because Moses is saying, guess what? You aren't. And this is a quality of God that we need to be really aware of and thankful for. And you know what? Depending on where you are in life right now, maybe depending on how thankful you are. For God. Uh, but I would venture to say this the more that you understand God, and the more you understand His relationship with His people, the more you become thankful for this quality of God. That He has a love and commitment towards His people that stretch way beyond anything that we can fathom. That height, depth, people, nations, nothing can separate us from his love and we have a hard time really fathoming what his love is. And so not only is this a central theme in Israel, but it's also a central theme for us today. And we're going to read from Titus 3, 4, because I want us to understand this. In, in Titus 3, 4 to 7, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, and I want you to hear those words, goodness, loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared. He saved us, why? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, Paul is writing to Titus here, 
And he's writing literally the same thing that Moses is saying to Israel. And he's saying this, your inheritance, Moses is saying your inheritance, the promised land, it's coming, but it's coming not because of your righteousness. That's not why you're getting it. That's not why God is giving it to you. Paul is saying to Titus, your inheritance, eternal life, the promised land for you, eternity in heaven with God. You are getting that. But guess what? Not because of your goodness, not because of your righteousness. You're getting it because God is merciful in his goodness and his loving kindness. We have to understand this about God. Because if we don't understand this inherently, it really plays out in our life in in very prominent ways. You know, sometimes when we're feeling down about ourselves, it's it's easier for us to understand this about God because we want to hope in it more. We want to believe that God loves us in spite of us because, hey, maybe I messed up. Maybe like David, when he committed adultery and he goes to repent before God in Psalm 51, and he says, please remove not your Holy Spirit, your presence from me. Maybe in those times it's It's easier for us because we want to hope that God is that loving and that good that we can still have him. But truly, when we really begin to understand God's loving and goodness towards us in all situations, in all stages of life, this becomes an ever-present reality that we are never good enough to achieve what he is offering. What God is offering to us, eternal life in the presence of the Holy of Holies with him before his throne and eternal worship of God and glorification of him. We will never be good enough to achieve that. We have to understand that. If we do not understand that, then we are missing the point of the gospel. We are missing the good news that if we think by some good grace in our life that somehow I can make it into the holy of holies because I have done something good enough. And you are in for a rude awakening. But I know we say this and for a long time in my life I said this, but I tell you, I did not believe it. You know why I didn't believe it? I didn't believe it because when I did do bad, when I did mess up, I would think God doesn't want me anymore. God won't accept me. You know what that says? That says God only accepts me when I'm doing good. So therefore, my goodness is what gets me in the presence of God. My righteousness is why God does what he does in my life. See, if we don't understand this concept of it's not by our righteousness, then we are going to have a rocky relationship with God because he is going to be human. He's going to be fickle. He's going to hate us today and love us tomorrow and then hate us the next day because that's how much I'm having my ups and downs. But when I realize that God's love is constant, that it's not because of me, but it's in spite of me. It doesn't matter truly how I am as a person, but it matters because of who he is as God, that I am able 
to enter into the promise of salvation in the presence of God, who then will continually renew me by his Holy Spirit day in and day out. See, Christians, we also have this problem. I call, I call this, pro, this, this next problem I'll talk about is the religious people problem. You know, we've been saved for either five days, five years, or 50 years. It doesn't matter. I've seen religious people that become religious five days after their salvation and religious people 50 years after their salvation. And it's this. We start looking down on people that struggle with sin. We start saying, man, you look at pornography. Oh, can't, can't hang out with you anymore. Can't talk with you. Man, you got, you got drunk again? You disgust me. I never want to see you again. Are oh, you, you cursed? That's it. We can't talk anymore. My virgin ears are being destroyed by your explicit content right now. You didn't tell me this conversation was going to be TVMA, okay? I need you to start warning me next time. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I've been... I have been subject to it myself. I, I, when I went to Ohio, I, I, you know, I took a, a gap year, they call it now. I guess it's the thing. Um, I moved to Ohio. I, just, I, I, I left to Ohio, an atheist, and I came back a religious high horse master. <laughs> just, I came back thinking, man, you don't pray two hours a day. Are you Christian? Are you sure you love Jesus? You, wait a second, you think you love God, but you didn't read your Bible yet? Oh, I'm sorry, you're very mistaken. I came back thinking I was better than everybody and that God was bestowing all of these great gifts on me because I knew how to pray more than everybody else. I knew how to read the Bible more than everybody else. I knew how to witness better than everybody else. And I also knew how to make everybody else feel like crap better than everybody else. <laughs> and because of that, God was blessing me. And that, that's religious people. That's all, guess what, man? I'm better than you now, so we're gonna have to change the dynamics of how we do things. Or I don't know if I can sit next to you in church anymore because you know, you're just on a, on a lower playing field than me. And this is how we get, we internally start to think, it's because of my righteousness. That now that God is loving me more and accepting me more. And it's no, your righteousness is filthy rags before God. The best that you can possibly do. If you were to never consciously sin again to the day you die, guess what? That righteousness is filthy rags before the presence of God. It can never hold up before who he is. So before you start to think that you are all so good and all so mighty and all so amazing, remember something. That it is in spite of you that God is still loving you. And what good theology does 
is it sends you before the throne every day grateful for what God is allowing you to do. God, because of your kindness and your goodness, I can come before you today. And I know I don't deserve it, Father, but because you are merciful, God, you allow me before your presence. And so I, I, I am just filled with joy and filled with peace that my Savior, that in spite of me, even though I am not perfect, still loves me and guides me and has his hand on my life. I know that all is well with my soul. There's something that, that, that does in your heart when you know whether I have a good day or a bad day, I can still go before God all the same because it was never dependent on me in the first place. It was always dependent on him. And guess what? Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. He never sinned. He fulfilled the law in a way I could never. And so when I go before God, I'm not going on my own merit, but I'm going on the merit of another. And that changes the dynamic of our relationship with God. It stops being an up and down. It stops being based on how good the altar call was on Sunday. It stops being based on how good my prayer life is and how much I feel the presence of God surrounding me. It becomes to truly be based around God's mercifulness, around his goodness, around his loving kindness. When I realize it's not about my righteousness. See, we always want to make it about us. That's the pride in us. We always want to make it about how good I'm doing. We always want to make it about how great I am. We always want to make it, even if it's about how bad I am, I still want to make it about me. But it's not about us. It's never been about us. And I... Praise God, it's not about me. Because I'm telling you, I would be so scared. Well, it would be beyond fear. It would just be, I, I know I was going to hell. There would be no point. It would be hopelessness. It would be despair. It would be constant depression. It would be constant anxiety. Why? Because if it was always about me, then I would never have a sure footing. I would never have sure ground. But since it's not, my foundation is firm. Because the foundation has nothing to do with the cracks and disparities in my life. The foundation has everything to do with Jesus and what he has done and what he has said. We have to remember that we cannot earn what God is giving. God gives it purely for his mercy because of his goodness and because of his loving kindness. And so next time when you are going to pray before God and you see the, the darkness in your own heart and your reaction is, God, can you still love me? Can I still talk with you even though I've done X, Y, and Z, even if it's worse than anything I've ever done before, just realize that if it was ever based on your goodness and your sin, you would have never been able to go to him in the first place. And so that 
That wasn't like that yesterday. It's not like that today. Come before God and repent. Turn away from your sinfulness and he is accepting, he is loving, and he is kind, and he is merciful to you. And he will not give you what you deserve, which is eternal damnation for walking away from him and who he is. Instead, he will give you an inheritance that is so amazing and so great. It is eternal life with him and his majesty. Repent before him today. Follow and obey by the grace of his Holy Spirit. When you are doing well and you want to say, I don't need you as much anymore, God. I think I got everything pretty laid out. Job is going well. Family is doing good. Finances aren't as crazy as they were. I think I can start putting you to the back burner. Remember that it is not because of your righteousness that you have what you have. It is because of the mercy and the goodness of God that you have breath in your lungs and that you live another day. And so go before him grateful and thanksgiving. Thank God, I magnify you. No matter what I have and what I don't have, I praise you. And it is not because of anything that I have done, but it has everything to do with what you have done. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father, I pray that you will teach us how dependent on your mercy we are. How dependent on your kindness, how dependent on your love we are. That in any moment that we start to think that it depends on our goodness, Father, that you would humble us before you. That you would discipline us to the point of repentance of our pride and thinking that we can obtain what you are offering. Father, I pray that we would be in an eternal state of gratitude. Knowing God, Lord, that we do not deserve what you have given. You have given it anyway. And every day is another day that we get a chance to be thankful for what you have done in our life that you have given us an inheritance greater than any inheritance on earth. Salvation and eternal life. A well that when we drink from, we will never thirst again. We will never go in search of something greater. And so as we worship you right now, I pray that we would thank you for who you are, that you don't change, that you won't be changing tomorrow, that you didn't change from thousands of years ago, but you are still 
out of your mercy, saving your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.